Chapter Six, Part One, of the English Language by Logan Pearsall Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Language and History, the earliest period. We have hitherto treated the subject of the English language more in its formal aspect, without much regard to the thought of which it is the expression and which fashions it for its instrument. The last, however, is the most interesting and certainly the most important aspect of the subject. But save for the earliest period of our race history, it has not yet occupied the attention of many scholars. The subject of semantics, as it is called, the science of meaning, the development of life and thought as embodied in language, is yet in its infancy. And indeed, until the partial completion of the great Oxford Dictionary, in which every word is traced as carefully as possible to its origin, and all its changes of meaning registered in their chronological order, no such study could have been usefully undertaken, in regard at least to the later periods of English history. Every sentence, every collection of words we use in speech or writing, contains, if we examine its component parts, a strange medley of words, old or modern, native or foreign, and drawn from many sources. But each possesses its ascertainable history, and many of them bear important traces of the event or movement of thought to which they owe their birth. If, therefore, we analyse our vocabulary into its different periods, separating our earliest words from the later editions, we shall find the past of the English race and civilization embodied in its vocabulary in much the same way as the history of the earth is found embodied in the successive strata of geological formation. For it is not too much to say that a contradiction between language and history rarely or never occurs. When a new product, a new conception, a new way of feeling comes into the thought of a people, it inevitably finds a name in their language, a name that very generally bears on it the mark of the source from which it has been derived. Let us then take our modern English civilization in a few at least of its broadest and simplest aspects and attempt by means of language to study its elements and proximate sources and the periods when they were accepted into the consciousness of the race. By far the oldest deposit in the English language is a little group of words inherited from the ancient Aryan language, which was spoken when our ancestors and those of the Greeks, the Romans, the Slavs, the Persians and Hindus all dwelt together in some unknown place at some remote date far in the prehistoric past. Although the belief in a homogeneous Aryan race is now generally abandoned, the evidence of language shows a continuity, if not of race, at least of culture. And these wrecks and fragments of speech, preserved by some happy accident, are by far the oldest documents we possess concerning our civilization. We have little or no historical knowledge of any of the Aryan peoples before about 1000 BC, Beyond that period, to the time of the primitive Aryans, 
there stretches a gap probably of many thousands of years which we can only cross on this frail bridge of words the earliest pioneers in the study of language followed this track into the unknown past with more enthusiasm than caution and created for themselves out of a few old and battered words the picture of a beautiful golden age a kind of terrestrial paradise which they located in the centre of asia where five or six thousand years ago they believed that the ancestors of the aryan races dwelt together in pastoral and poetic simplicity and plenty recent criticism however has destroyed much of that beautiful picture and it is not now believed that the evidence of language is sufficient to enable us to reconstruct save in the barest outline the conditions of this early culture even the asiatic home of the aryans is no longer generally believed in and the most widely accepted of current views is probably that which places their home in the southern steppes of russia whence at their separation the indian and persian branch wandered towards the east the Slavs and Teutons into the German forests, and the Greeks towards Greece, while the ancestors of the Celts and Romans followed the course of the Danube towards Italy and Gaul. It would be beyond our scope, however, to treat of this whole subject of the Indo-European languages and the primitive Aryan civilization. We must confine ourselves to the words existing in our English vocabulary which have been derived from that language and which are evidence of the earliest known stage in the culture of our race. For we find in this primitive deposit of language not only the original forms of words like knee, foot and tooth and terms for our simplest acts and perceptions but others more indicative of a definite state of civilization the numerals up to ten descend to us from this period the words father mother daughter sister brother son widow and our old word nev n e v e now replaced by the french nephew show that family relationships had been considerably developed hound is an aryan word and with goat goose sow and a word for horse eo e o h which we once possessed but which has long since perished in our language have been taken as a proof that these animals have been more or less domesticated but the most important of these names of domesticated animals are connected with the flocks and herds of pastoral life and seem to show that cows and sheep were the main property and means of subsistence for this ancient people u e w e weather w e t h e r and wool cow ox steer herd have been traced back to the early aryans and another word fee f e which in old english and other teutonic tongues meant both cattle and money and which is related to the latin pecu p e c u from which pecuniary descends indeed the accumulated evidence of language proves almost beyond a doubt that the aryans were a nomadic race similar in habits to the modern tartars driving their herds of cattle with them on their wanderings dependent for the most part on their meat and milk for food and on their skins for clothing the words wheel knave axle yoke 
and a route from which our wain and wagon descend are regarded as a proof that wheels had been invented and that the Aryans travelled in carts drawn by cattle. They possessed only one word for any kind of metal. Our word or ore descends from it. And this is taken to stand for copper, which is often found in a form easily hammered into use by primitive peoples. No Aryan word for sea or fish have come down to us, but our verb to row and our word rudder, which originally meant a paddle, seem to show that the original race had learned some primitive forms of river navigation, probably in a canoe dug out from the trunk of a tree, like the canoes of other primitive people. Door is a very ancient word. Timber is derived from an Aryan root, and thatch comes from an old verb meaning to cover. These words are regarded as a proof that the Aryans, like their Germanic descendants in the time of Tacitus, had begun to build some kind of wooden or wicker huts for themselves, without, however, windows, for which no term common to the related languages is found. Our word mead is found in many Aryan languages, and shows that this primitive people possessed a drink made from honey. The verb to weave is of equal antiquity and seems to show that some art of making cloth, or at least of plaiting, had been early acquired. Words showing a knowledge of agriculture are few and of doubtful meaning, and form a strong contrast to the terms connected with flocks and herds and wagons. The word tree, the names of birch and withy, are widely distributed. The words wolf, the hare, the beaver, the otter, the mouse, feather, nest, are of great antiquity, and night and star, dew and snow, wind and thunder, fire and east, are primitive terms, or ones that descend from early roots. The greater part of the words which have come to us from this early period are of a homely, and some even of a coarse, character, and we're not accustomed to feel any specially romantic interest in them. And yet they are of importance as forming the first deposit of human experience in our race of which we have any knowledge, the nucleus of life around which our present civilization has slowly grown. From them we can make for ourselves a dim picture of our primitive ancestors, dwelling in wattled huts or loading their goods and chattels on their wooden ox carts, and driving their herds of cattle and flocks of sheep as they wandered out to seek new pasture lands and new temporary habitations. But when we consider that a large part of these words are still spoken, and not only almost all over Europe, but in some remote languages of the East, we can find in them a bond which makes, if not the whole, at least a great part of the world, kin and joins our English civilization with those of Persia and India. And when, too, we remember the unknown antiquity of these words, we come to associate them with other remains of an unknown past that we still carry with us, old rites which are still practised, superstitions which still haunt our minds, 
and the antique agricultural implements the wheels and ploughshares and shepherds crooks which we still see in use about us the nineteenth century which has added to modern life many material conveniences has also enriched it with at least one new way of feeling one new intellectual pleasure the projection of our thoughts and sympathies through thousands of years into the primitive past beyond all dates and records our modern knowledge of the antiquity of our aryan words does much to open for us these vistas and vast avenues of time and terms like mother father brother sister night and star and wind are all the more beautiful and dear to us because we know that they belong to the innermost core of our race experience and are living sounds conveyed to us by the uninterrupted speech of countless generations out of the silence and darkness that lie far beyond the dawn of history the next step in the history of our primitive civilization is one that we also learn of from the history of language after an unknown period the asiatic group the peoples from whose speech those of the persians and indians had arrived split off from the original aryans and we find the european races still dwelling together and acquiring in common terms that betoken a certain advance in civilization there is reason for believing that this european branch have made their way from treeless steppes and pasture lands into a country of forests for we find that in this west aryan or european period when the ancestors of the greeks the romans the celts and teutons were still closely connected a number of words for trees and birds make their first appearance our words for beech hazel elm sallow throstle starling and finch have been traced with more or less certainty to this period and we also find a number of agricultural terms are common to two or more of the west Aryan peoples corn and furrow bean and meal an ear of corn the verb to mow the old word for ploughing to ear e-a-r which is now obsolete save in certain english dialects although it is used in the revised version of the bible this increase of agricultural terms is believed to be additional evidence of the migration at this time from a treeless to a wooded country for nomadic peoples despise agriculture and only the pressure of necessity will make them abandon for it their pastoral life it was probably therefore when our ancestors found themselves in the dense primeval forests of europe with their scanty pasture lands and stagnant streams and wide marshes that they were forced to supplement the easy life of shepherds and cattle breeders by the much more laborious occupations of agriculture if we are to believe the evidence of language it was at this period too that our ancestors became acquainted with the sea for which the asiatic and european languages had no common word our word mere which is still used in poetry and which forms the first part of the word mermaid corresponds to the latin mare m a r e from which we derive our borrowed word marine 
and salt and fish are terms common to the European group. At what period this early group of European tribes separated from each other we have no knowledge, but it was long before the earliest records of European history that our ancestors made their way into the German forests, while the ancestors of the Greeks and Romans moved towards the shores of the Mediterranean. There are strong linguistic grounds for believing that the ancestors of the Celts and Latins travelled for a while together, and those of the Slabs and Teutons, while the Greeks formed a group of their own. For the Celtic languages are believed to be more nearly related to Latin than Latin is to Greek, and the Slab and Teutonic speeches have certain elements in common. But the next important stage in the history of our race is that marked by the group of languages called Teutonic, to which High and Low German, English, Dutch, Norwegian, Danish and Swedish belong. This third and Teutonic stratum of our civilization, following on the scanty Aryan and West Aryan deposits, is a very rich one, and shows very marked advances in primitive civilization. To treat the whole subject of Teutonic life would be beyond our limits, but some aspects of it, as shown by the common Teutonic vocabulary, may be briefly noted. There is a large addition to the vocabulary not only of forest terms, names of trees, birds and beasts, but also that of agriculture. And a great part of the words we use in farming date from this period. Bowl and brew, broth, knead, K-N-E-A-D, dough, loaf, are words common to our Teutonic ancestors, and with hat, comb and felt, house and home, are marks of an advancing civilization. The word borough was still used for a fortified place, but it had perhaps even in this early period come to acquire a meaning something like that of town or civic community, while king and earl showed the advance of civil organization, although these words had not, of course, like many of the others, the developed meanings we attach to them now. The words buy, B-U-Y, where, W-A-R-E, worth and cheap, which originally meant barter, are evidence of the growth of trade, while in the early vocabulary of the Teutonic tribes the sounds and sights of the sea are very apparent, and show how our ancestors in their home by the Baltic and the North Sea coasts acquired the arts of seamanship, and that familiarity with natural phenomena which is so important to sailors. The words sea, S-E-A, sound and island, flood, cliff and strand belong to this period, and with them ship, steer, sail and stay. The names of the points of the compass, north, south, east and west, are a common inheritance of the German languages, and they possess in common two words like storm, shower and hail. The name whale for any large sea beast, seal, and mew for the seagull, and even the name for an imaginary water demon, which survives in the German Nixe, and in our old and half-forgotten word Nicker, N-I-C-K-E-R. End of section nine.